Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 183. Hope you're watching a lot of footy out there. You have your pick of the litter. We have two major competitions in the month of January, the Asian Cup and AFCON. As I told you I would, I am going to watch copious amounts. I'm trying to hit triple digits with all the international tournaments that we have here in 2026. So, while you're doing that, a reminder, a gentle one, to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. We are so appreciative of all the listeners out here. This is an American podcast here in North America. We know we have people listening all over the world. The data says we have a lot of folks listening in India. People in India are just consuming soccer at a clip we have never quite seen before. And it is time, folks. It is time for that Indian soccer opus here on the Soccer OG. For those Indian listeners that... Listen week to week for those who tune in once in a while. I hope you all get to tune in here because we are going to be talking the Indian national team, the Indian Super League, the Indian fandom, and where it was, where it's headed, and where it could become. So joining me in the business end, very thrilled with a big 13 and a half hour time discrepancy. So we got it done. Pulas Dar, the commentator, one of the commentators of the Indian Super League and the AFC Champions League. He is tuning into the Asian Cup. India has a game on Thursday, recording this on a Wednesday. They have a game on Thursday against Uzbekistan. If they can win that game, this will really ramp up. So hopefully they do. So this podcast has some legs, but you'll enjoy that conversation with Pulas Dar. And we will we'll just roll our sleeves up and talk about everything about the Indian game and why it's been called a sleeping giant why it has so much potential, a country of 1.4 billion people. I believe that's the highest populated country in the world. Correct me if I'm wrong. I may have to brush up on my uh, geography, but we'll be having that. Then, in Check Complete, I will tell you why 2024 was is going to be the biggest year in international football history. It's already begun with everything, and I'll tell you why it is even more special when we look a little bit closer to the surface of what we are going to see this year and why it's going to be so massive. Huge show for you. Thanks for tuning in. We begin with the rundown. We are back and I have been watching a lot of games here in January. We'll talk more about the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations. Uh, the African Cup of Nations is <laughs> very entertaining as always. There's not a big uh, gap between the top and the middle and maybe even the bottom teams. I think that's one of the things that I, uh, is appealing to see how much it has changed. We'll talk more about that in Check Complete. Not huge changes, but one significant one. One significant one that I think is very important for the African game. The Asian Cup 2, which we will talk in check complete, I have watched a lot because it's being held in Qatar with these World Cup venues, really well produced. I have been mesmerized by it. I think it's just incredible how good it looks. And I've watched Asian Cups in, in the past and it didn't look this good. And in particular, the Gulf nations, the Middle East countries are all improving. So whatever is happening in that part of the world, it is helping the football. It is clear as day to me. I saw Jordan play. They were pinging the ball around. They were playing beautiful football. 
the same can be said for the United Arab Emirates, who've always been popping around there kind of close. And these are Gulf nations, but we also can expand that to some of the Middle East nations. Iraq, they were excellent in the game that I saw. And then you couple that with Iran, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, that have already kind of established themselves a bit. That part of the world is very football heavy with a couple very competitive and resourceful leagues. So that continues to grow in a big way. I'm forgetting one of the Middle Eastern countries that impressed me, but I'll I'll figure it out another time. Um, Bahrain wasn't so great, but they'll have time to build into that tournament. The uh, I'm trying to think of a funny, I got to pull it up, an AFCON. Uh, Tosin Makinde, who's been on the the uh, podcast before, reposted a, a tweet about how uh, the reality of the African Cup of Nations is. And this was from Uncle Quams. Someone tweeted, Nigerian people are, are killing me right now. They're celebrating that both Ghana and Nigeria didn't win. And then Uncle Quams tweets, AFCON is more about seeing the failure of your enemies than the success of your own team. And that made me laugh because <laughs> there's some truth to that. And we all we all deal with that sometimes. It's good to see your rivals suffer. And that's all embedded in what makes AFCON very interesting. So we'll talk about both those competitions in my 2024 biggest year ever for international football ahead. I'm not being... Uh, this, this is not hubris. This is this is. I'm not qualifying it with some words that say it could be. I'm just saying definitively it is. So uh, some interesting things that happened this weekend. It was a light Premier League window, but we had a uh, potential game of the year candidate with Manchester City and Newcastle. Manchester City coming back. The return of <clears throat> their. Their incredible talent, right? The man who they sorely missed, he comes back uh, and he hits the ground running and shows how much he uh, he was working on his game uh, while he was injured. And of course, well, we, we talk about Kevin De Bruyne and scoring a goal and then assisting on a goal to allow Manchester City to come back. And that was very exciting because all five goals in that game were exceptional. So... Uh, he, uh, he, his second goal, he just had this, the first goal, I should say, the second goal for Man City, beautifully placed into the corner. And it was just a goal of someone that there's no way he could have been out of action that long and put something into the back of the net like that. And then he assists Oscar Bob for the game winner in stoppage time. Oscar Bob is another young Norwegian player. What's up with Norway. I mean, you have Odegaard and Holland and guys like Oscar Bob, and they have a really good collective group of players, but they can't qualify for anything. Hopefully they alleviate that. Certainly in 2026, they'll have their chance. They're not going to be in the Euros, which is part of this incredible 2024. But what a, a fantastic game that was when we had a diet of Premier League matchups. But everything's back. The Bundesliga is back. There, uh, Bayer Leverkusen still in first place. We are going to watch that uh, instinctively. We the Spanish league is coming back in full force. We had that Super Cup semis and final. Real Madrid blew the doors off of Barcelona. A lot of pressure now mounting on Xavi. It's a real dilemma for Barcelona because if they fired Xavi, you it would be hard to argue too much because it feels like he's lost that team a bit and they are just falling off. 
I mean, they're way behind Real Madrid, and Real Madrid hasn't been, you feel like Real Madrid's been in second gear, and they could still get uh, a lot better. And yet, there they are, leading the league. Uh, their biggest challenge right now, coming from uh, Girona, who uh, are, are actually in first place, having played a game extra with 49 points. And then Barcelona, eight points back off Girona, seven points back from Real Madrid. It is, you know, Barcelona, if they did part ways with Xavi, what would happen afterwards to me would be chaos. For all this, I mean, I I, I tend to believe that Xavi, behind the scenes, has done a really nice job of kind of keeping that all together in a really almost impossible situation because of their financial issues. And then the possibility of Barcelona just falling apart is very realistic. So you've got to tread lightly there. And I think the people at Barcelona know that. But it's not, I mean, it is, it, it, is, it feels like the bad times are coming. So uh, everyone hold tight because, you know, this is, you know, going back to so many things we heard about the Super League and the financial issues with Barcelona. This is what you feared. We, we all want Barcelona to be competitive because that's why we tune into the the, the, these games we want them to they have this incredible pipeline of talent that's important for the 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 bigger landscape of the game so that's an interesting one to keep an eye on major league soccer ramping up their marketplace we saw the final arrival of brandon vasquez and cade Cal in mexico cade Cal showing up like dog the bounty hunter i don't know if you saw his new look he's got this blonde locks it looked amazing I poke fun, but it literally looked amazing. He looked like a rock star arriving at Chivas. I think he's going to do well there. That's the kind of profile of a player that Liga MX doesn't have, really athletic, vertical, and every team could use a guy like that, uh, and they can be a difference maker, more so than where it kind of gets lost a bit in Major League Soccer where you have the profile of a player like that. If he could come around with the technical skills, it's going to be a tough situation for him because the Mexican media, because Chivas only plays Mexican players. Uh, Cade Cal's mother is of Mexican descent, so there is a connection. There have been Americans there before, but it doesn't, I don't think it's going to save him from too much criticism. So that's going to be a high pressure situation. So uh, we'd love to have him in MLS. We'd love to see him get better in Europe, but this is a really uh, a unique circumstance that I think will help build the player moving forward as well. So we got a lot going on, including the two major competitions that we will talk more about. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. I'll be pumping out videos with some regularity. I have one there about 2024. We're going to talk about uh, you know, I've been going at it with the Straight Red Card podcast. I love those guys. And, you know, I, I sent a tweet that said, uh, because of all these American players coming back, American players that were in Europe, Georgie Mihalovic and Zach Steffen, uh, Miles Robinson, who didn't go to Europe, had Europe, had a European offer, but decided to stay in the U.S. for money, which is a really interesting conversation about going to Europe to get better for less money or coming here and taking care of business living in, a, in the United States, much like how Liga Emeki say could overpay for domestic players. Can't be too critical of players scoring for the money. And that's what I want people to understand. Not everyone's going to go, I want to get better and I'll make 
a third of what I would make here or half of what I'd make here by going there. But I said that this could be the entry point for some of the, the A-listers, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna. I think that's the A-list. That's the first class cabin of A-listers, really. Coming back to the United States, if they get a big offer. And, you know, a lot of the USMNT fans on social media go, get hands off. Go, they don't want to do it. And first of all, you can't speak on their behalf. Uh, Derek at the Straight Red Cards said there was uh, a quote from... Uh, who was on our, our uh, Doug McIntyre asked Christian Pulisic or posted a quote that he would like to come to MLS in the latter portion of his years. And people think that's 2030. Well, that, that could appease Christian Pulisic, but I would, I would say if you have a, a club backed by the league and you offer big Lorenzo Insigne money and the ability to be the, the face of the league and give in many ways, kind of what Lionel Messi gets, because I think a, the young American recognizable player is the next best thing. Maybe the young recognizable Liga and Mekis, Mexican players would be there too. You give them what they, what they desire uh, and make it an offer you can't refuse. Maybe you can get them right after the 2026 World Cup. I truly believe there'll be a club out there that could make that offer and these players will listen. Depending on how the World Cup goes, things are going great for Pulisic and Weston McKinney. I think those are the top two. We, Gio Reyna probably can't include this conversation until he works out his club situation. Things are going great there. But in a year or two, things could be different. And the city where they play can be a bit chaotic. And in many ways, doesn't have the money for some of these players. So there is a chance to compete, whether you want to see it or not. I'm not being an MLS fanboy. I'm just saying from MLS's perspective, those are the players you really got to go after. Certainly after the Lionel Messi era ends somewhere after 2025, where do you go from there? Who is the guy or the guys that can kind of hold that mantle? And I think those two, Pulisic and McKinney, are ideal. Soccer OG rolls on. Let's get into Indian soccer. I can't wait. I'm going to be so much smarter about the sport in that country after the next half hour. Pulas Dar, uh, commentator for the Indian Super League, joins us next in the business end. We head into the business end and a show I've been wanting to do for quite some time. Uh, recognizing the appetite for the sport of soccer within India and 1.4 billion Indians. So I, I had to get connected here, certainly in the throes of the Asian Cup as well. So joining me here is one of the commentators of the Indian Super League, he also calls AFC Champions League. You can hear him on the world feed on One Football. It's Pulas Dar joining me bright and early uh, in the morning. We have quite a time change, but this is what the beauty of, I guess, a, a Zoom call in the modern state of the game that we can bridge the gap here so easily. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Max. Uh, it's wonderful to talk uh, Indian football, and I'm going to call it football, you know, because Fair I, enough. I, I understand the word soccer is great, but um, I think because of the British influence, we we call it football here. And, and just to talk to somebody in America about Indian football is a very interesting, uh, you know, bridge as well, uh, because because... America has also been in that kind of situation where, you know, soccer or football has to become popular and, you know, um, and I think Indian football is also at this wonderful little juncture where American football was a few years ago, uh, looking for popularity, looking for, um, looking to stamp something 
on the world, looking to get noticed. So thank you for having me, and it, it's going to be wonderful talking to you about Wait, the sport here in this you, country. Have you get you have to get requests like this? People have to have seen the 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 interesting developments in that part of the world. Yes, uh, I think especially over the last four or five years, it's really taken off because I think this is a sport that. This is the one sport that brings the world together. Of course, it has its flaws, and we can talk about that. But just as a, as a binder, this is just a wonderful sport. And over the last few years, because of the streaming, because everyone can watch the Indian Super League everywhere, and the sheer number of Indian people, as you mentioned, you know, interested in in the sport and and how they're responding to social media and podcasts and shows, it does show that there is an untapped potential. Of, of remarkable interest, even though we play second fiddle to cricket. But one fine day, one fine day, football is going to be the top sport Wait, in this how, country. How big of a shadow does cricket cast? I mean, are the, are there, are the people who are so in, uh, how would you say it? They're so in, in, in detail into cricket where they wouldn't even look at soccer. Or they say, we don't play, we're not a soccer town, this is all cricket. The schools may say that. Is that, uh, how difficult would that be to overcome cricket, or is is the cricket world India kind of seen soccer as a viable second sport or third sport per se? I think where it um, the difference is in national team success. What happens in cricket is it it creates this national pride because we are so good at it. Um, that said, I keep telling people that twelve or fifteen countries play cricket. <laughs> it doesn't. It's, it's not really a World Cup for me. And I'm really sorry to all the cricket fans listening to this. It's not really a World Cup for me when the cricket world is so small. You could get, you're my, real, you might get yourself yeah. in trouble here, Pulase. <laughs> it's totally okay. I'm a football man and everybody knows it. Um, but, but I do have issues sometimes with cricket casting a shadow on the sport simply because sometimes we have to give up, uh, you know, stadiums because there's not enough police um, uh, force to protect both the sports at the same time if they're happening simultaneously in the country. These are little things that uh, sometimes can be frustrating for someone who's so much into football, you know? Even when you go to a playground, I just remember when I was young and every playground would be taken up by people playing cricket and we would walk in with the football and, and they'd say, no, we're playing. And it would be really frustrating. That said, I can't blame the sport. Uh, it, it's, it's obviously wonderful for us when we win tournaments in cricket. But I think the big one, the real soft power in the world, <laughs> it lies when, when you succeed in football. And it's a, it's a slower process. This is the interesting part. Cricket is the more expensive sport yes. to actually take up. You yeah, know? And, and, it, 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 and it requires so much space. You need I mean, it's yeah. expanse because you're hitting it. So I, it would soccer in a place like India would make more sense. And maybe that's starting to fill in through the cracks. It is. It is. Uh, now the... the Gen Z, as I like to call them, but maybe not even Gen Z, generation after Gen Z, they're, they're going to play football. That's my hope. They're going to save us. <laughs> they're going to save the sport in this country, which is why it's at such an important point. It's a very young country. You must have read about how young India is as a country right now. So it, it really matters if the youngsters start taking on uh, football, but that is going to happen when the national team makes the right kind of noise. This is something that India has had. If, we, if the national team doesn't do well, uh, people kind of stop watching the sport or stop getting interested, which brings us a great segue to bring us into the Asian Cup. Why there's there's this little bit of expectation that if we do well, if we get into the knockouts, oh, 
that that's going to be such a watershed moment. Well, that is very interesting. And I, just to, to, to put tabs on a couple of things you said and about the uh, uh, the comparison to what we went through. And I, and I was doing some research before our conversation and I could see so much of where India is, maybe just a couple, maybe a decade behind or maybe less than where we were in absorbing this sport into our bloodstream. And I, certainly I, I, reading this, I could say, and you also mentioned how it is this untapped, this undiscovered country. And there was, a, I, I'm sure you heard about Arsene Wenger when he visited India, calling it a gold mine. FIFA, he's a FIFA chief of global football development. So Arsene Wenger is a guy that we all hold in the highest esteem, and he certainly said it. But we'll talk about the 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 national team. I want to just maybe get your idea, your thoughts on the interest level for the sport. And we can talk about the national team and maybe where the Super League is as well. But I guess a good springboard, as you mentioned, is the Asian Cup. So Thursday morning here in the United States, India plays Uzbekistan. They played Australia, uh, probably the hardest team in the group. Um, about played pretty well, but lost 2-0. And this is the second group. So from your perspective or from what you are hearing, how excited is the Indian public for these games? How excited in particular for this Thursday game, knowing that if they can win it, perhaps passage to... Uh, a spot that they've never reached in an Asian Cup could be on offer, but that obviously was required result. What, where can we gauge that excitement level? I think uh, the excitement level has now increased. There was there was very realistic expectation that we might not beat Australia, so there was this. Uh, it was really nice to see see the uh, see the team get into halftime at uh, Nilal, you know, but. Um, now that the toughest game is out of the way, it was great to have the toughest game out of the way first. Now the excitement and the expectation begins. You know, Uzbekistan is tough. I saw a wonderful tweet the other, other day where someone asked, have we underestimated Uzbekistan? Oh, sorry. Have we overestimated Uzbekistan and underestimated Syria, which is the last game? There is this, there is this un quantity of the unknown right now where we don't know what's going to happen. But the coach has said, we will attack Uzbekistan. We will go for it against Syria. So the excitement now is what can the team do? Okay, we sat back, we defended, we tried to keep our shape against Australia. We had to in a way. But now's the time to take a risk. Can we go all <laughs> out? Let's play a brave system. Can we go and create something? It's unfortunate we're missing a lot of key, key players across the spine who got injured over the last few months. And um, there's no point crying over that. But uh, it is now time to show that we can actually go for it as well. A great example is Vietnam. They went for it against Japan. Yes, they lost 4-2. But the kind of positive news, sometimes a defeat can also create this positive uh, force, you know, within the country. Hey, we went for it. We scored two goals against one of the best teams in the world right now. Japan and the World Cup were fantastic. So I would love to see something like that happen. Something like what happened against Thailand in the last Asian Cup edition. And we keep talking about it. Even though we didn't get out of the group, we continue to sit back on that result and be like, wow, that, that was a great day for Indian football. And I'm hoping that one of these two days against Uzbekistan or Syria can be like that. So there is palpable excitement about the next two games because I think there could be a result to, to be taken. Well, I hope this podcast kind of conjures up all that good. And, and then I would look really smart because I had you on in India. Found a way to beat Uzbekistan, who uh, we played, you know, we, the United States played Uzbekistan and we beat them. But then they played Mexico and I think it was 3-3. So yeah, they impressed a lot of people when they came out here at the end of 2023. 
I'm curious about what you said about the style. Uh, Igor Stimach is a guy I think a lot of people remember. I remember him as, as a West Ham player yes. uh, briefly there back in the day. He, I, I was reading, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be speaking out of turn here, that he does like to be aggressive. Maybe not against mm-hmm. Australia, but in these games where they will where they've been successful in some of the South in the South Asian tournament, which they won, where they could be a little more aggressive. How would you describe the style of this Indian national team under Steemach's watch? Huge change over the last two years. Massive change. Um, I think mentally. And even in terms of uh, the physical aspect and the technical aspect. And the coaches before that, and all due respect to them, they tried, but there was always this underdog feeling. The Indian players would not want the ball. They don't want to pass the ball. They, they didn't want it earlier. Steemach has come and said, we need to want the ball. We have to play the ball. And it's okay if we lose. He's got this great uh, soaking ability of pressure. He doesn't let the team take the pressure. He says, it's all down to me. I'm the head coach. If there's a problem, I get sacked. The results are my business. You go out and play. Play like you want to play. And we don't play it direct anymore. And I'm not saying that I have something against a direct style, but some of the goals that India have scored, especially in these small tournaments in the run-up to the Asian Cup, have been fantastic. And you're like, wow, we can do that? And of course, we might not be able to do that against top teams. But just to make the team want to express themselves is something Steam Match has brought. And yes, he says a lot of things that people might disagree with, saying things like, oh, the Asian Cup results are not as important as the next World Cup qualifying group because that's the big one where we get 10 games home and away. That's the real experience. And I kind of, I'm 50-50 on that. I kind of agree these three games or maybe a fourth one in the knockout is not going to, this is not going to define Indian football. What's going to define it is how we build on these experiences. But Steam has just come, he's changed the mood. Suddenly the country is like, we want more. And that is important. That little spark, we want to see more of that. That's what really matters. It's uh, he makes a good point, but I, I was I was reading up on it and I saw Stephen Constantine, who in, in, in a bit of an ironic shift is now the head coach of mm. Pakistan, and he was uh, he kind of took some digs at India, whether they were accurate or not, and I imagine some would be. He says the infrastructure is not up to speed. I don't think we would expect it to be. That uh, we the coaching uh within the league where you can develop players is probably not there we don't have that in the united states for the record do you think um and i want to get back i'm I'm speaking a little out of term but i'd like to get back to how steam actually viewed that because i think when it comes to world cup qualifying you know eight teams will qualify out of asia there's a huge opportunity there if you get the right draw uh obviously we'd like to do well in the asian cup but just with regards to what constantine may have said where do you think the reality is of ndr in those fundamental areas, development, coaching, resources, and the reality and where uh, many hope they could be or feel that they might be uh, within either now or within a year or two, which they can help them reach those goals that they feel within reach. Things are happening. And um, that's a good question. In a way, sometimes you see news like Wenger coming in, inaugurating a FIFA talent academy. Great. But... I think the problem sometimes lies in how vast this country is. It's not yeah. easy to develop <laughs> this. Sport. It's a massive country. Again, a similarity to what we have here in the States. Yes, exactly. America as well. Like I ask my, I ask friends in America, hey, why don't you go there? Why don't you go? Like that's two time zones away. 
and like a long flight away. It's we don't have a second time zone, but this is a huge country to get around. So what needs to happen is we have to understand the sport will only develop in certain pockets, and we have to accept that reality. It might develop in Kerala, it might develop in Odisha right now, where I am, where the Super Cup is happening, where the FIFA Talent Academy is. It's going to happen in Goa. It's not going to happen in every state. The thing is, we have to be patient. And yes, grassroots is a. I was talking to some of the head coaches uh, over here and about what really needs to change. And it's about grassroots. We need to get kids playing. And now that is happening. But we need to get these kids playing not at age 12 or age 14. We need to get them playing mm-hmm. at six, at seven, at eight. And how that's going to happen only when everybody's on the same page. And this, this, this brings in schools as well, the culture in schools. Do we have enough sports breaks or sports periods rather in, in schools? I don't think we do. Do we have long enough recesses for kids to go out and play? I don't think we do. It's an academic country. But now what's happening is some parents are looking at it and reading about news and saying, hey, wow, that's a big contract that that player got at this club. Maybe there is a future in this sport. Maybe there is something my, my, my child could make a livelihood out of this sport. That is a very important part of, of, of the diaspora of India, that the priorities are not sport. Once the priority becomes sport, and if, if the priority is sport, it's cricket, because it's massive, right? And the fame and the money, everything. It's going to take time. And you mentioned a decade. I think a decade is, that, that's a good number. In a decade, if we have this conversation after 10 years, um, and you look as young as you are right now, <laughs> along with me, then, then, so. I think we're gonna be, <laughs> then, then I think we're going to be in a great spot to, to calculate whether these things are working. By that time, the ISL will be 20 years. That's going to be a huge number. And once the kids start playing, that, that's, that's, that's the big challenge. Can we get the kids playing? Can we get coaches? Can we get enough Indian coaches and say, hey, this is a good job to have. Become a coach. There is money in this. There is a livelihood in this. There is, there's a future in this. We need to convince people to become part of the sport. That's the big one. You mentioned the money, but is there that interest in that money to pay coaches to help develop, to go into some places to keep those academies going to talk to parents to get them interested so their kid could follow soccer to identify it's a long list but do you think you have those resources in india that could keep that buoyant it can happen if if whatever government is in power decides to prioritize the sport does the government now prioritize it do you feel like there's they're backing they are now. Yes, they are now. But sometimes what happens is we get carried away with uh, the big news. Let's host a nation cup. Let's host a world cup. Let's do this. Let's do that. Sometimes our priority has to be start from the bottom up. We are an impatient country as well, in a way. <laughs> uh, because we watch so much European football and we've all grown up watching that kind of football, sometimes we, we expect too much too soon. And, and, and there has to be a realization. Someone at the top has to come out and say, okay, you know what? Here's a 20-year plan. And that has happened from the All India Football Federation. There is a vision for the next 20, 25 years. But can we, can we be patient? That's the big one. Can we say, okay, we do something like Belgium? And it's easy to do it in European countries, you know? They're the tiny little countries. But there is enough backing now. Otherwise, a Wenger would not come over here. 
Otherwise, these little academies would not spring up over here. And we have to also realize at the same time, clubs have to realize football is a loss-making business. We're not going to make no club. Very few clubs across the world, even the big ones, make a profit. So it is, in a way, a lot of giving to the sport without the expectation of getting back from it. And if there are these people, you know, the conglomerates, the government, if they realize that, hey, okay, this is how this sport works. It is financially broken, 100% across the world. Once they accept that, but there is a future. There is something. If we can get players out of the country, but the players are also paid a lot of money here, the Indian players. Is there enough motivation for them to go to South Korea? Are there any Vietnam? Indian? Are there any prominent Indian players playing outside of India right now? Or no? Could there no. be if, as you said, the Indians at the ISL wasn't paying them handsomely? You feel there's a couple that could probably sort make a trek yes. out there. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but that's good, though, that they're, they're, they're yes. making a good living. And as to your point, the parents go, hey, the ISL is paying, which maybe it's yes, something for my exactly. son. Okay. Yes. But but how do we bridge that gap? Because we need a star to go outside and say, yeah. oh, wow. Like, look look at someone like an Alfonso Davis for Canada uh, going to Bayern Munich and getting all kinds of success. It just it takes one player. You know? and, and sometimes that's the key. One player can change it. it it's so yep. odd, right? Like a billion and a half it's true. people. <laughs> but one player is all we need to look at that one player and go like, oh, wow, can I do what he's doing? But the number of sacrifices are immense. And, 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 and the background from which a lot of us come, and when, when we see the kind of money that an ISL club can pay you and you're like, wow, should I really go out and make one-tenth of that? It's a big decision. It's a confusing decision. And I have sympathy for, for that kind of... Um, you know, the, the weighing of the two of the two options. That's very interesting. And, you know, you made me think about this because the United States always gets it's I don't know if it's a criticism, but they you know, you always say, look, a country like Belgium, population five million can do so well. And a country with three hundred and fifty million struggle. But India is that size is much even bigger population wise. Maybe a country like China, maybe a country like Turkey that hasn't quite matched with some of these smaller countries. Maybe it's it's easier to be a smaller country and succeed because it is so uber-focused, whereas everything gets stretched out in places like the United States and India. So maybe it's a you we feel the sheer numbers is an advantage, but maybe it's not. Uh, just hearing you talk about it, it kind of hit me, and it's interesting that uh, we face similar uh, dilemmas with having to... Throw out a huge net to find all of this talent, and that in itself uh, is a detriment in, in, in some ways. I don't think all the ways, but certainly it makes it a little more challenging. So I thought that was a really interesting point that you made. The uh, I, I just looking at some of the players. I know yeah, Sunil Chetri, who uh, is a name I'm familiar with, but he's 39. Yeah. Um, the young players that are are following through on that national team uh, are there the are there ones that excite you that can take this program into the World Cup cycle of 2026 and a World Cup cycle of 2030? Yeah, 100% the next one. Um, there's a lot of 23 to 27-year-olds in this team. Um, a lot of them have come through the under-17 World Cup, which India hosted in 2017. Uh, the likes of Apuya in midfield. He's really good technically. There's a couple of the wingers, Mahesh and Chante, who are really quick and can do something. Sahal is an exciting player. Uh, plays at number 10. At the back, we've got Sandesh Jingan, who's 30 now, but he's he's in the prime of his uh, defensive career as a centre-back at 30. He looks absolutely brilliant. He was really brave against Australia. Gurpreet is good. But I'm more excited about the next one, 
this generation, I think, this this team currently. So like 18, 19, 20. Potential. Yes, okay. that's what you want to see. The 18, 19 year olds. And it's interesting you mentioned that last night um, in the Super Cup, uh, Mumbai City played a team full of 19, 20 year olds. And the the new coach over here, right, is he's come from Melbourne City. And Mumbai City is obviously owned by the City Football Group. And he's played this young team and they beat uh, a team which full of full of senior pros who are experienced. And all the goal scorers were uh, youth, youth products. 20-year-old Ayush Chikara got a couple of goals. 19-year-old uh, scored the winner in the 93rd minute or something like that. That is the generation I'm looking forward to. Where are you going to be in four years' time? That's the big one for us. And, and if they keep going, and now the Indian Super League has done well, they've limited the number of foreigners you can play in the starting 11 to just four, which means seven Indians have to play. But the striking positions, the strikers' positions are usually taken up by a foreigner. By the far, yeah? Yeah. And, and that's the little, that's... Oh, wait, so I, I, sorry, I interrupt you, yes. but that, you're saying that the, the international players are playing striker in the Indian Super League. And you would like to see the Indian players finally take that mantle. But it's not like yes. that right now. It's not. But it, imagine if if uh, you were starting out and you're watching the ISL and you're at an age around 13, 14, where you're deciding what position you're going to play. You're going to look at the team and you're going to be like, well, I could play 100% midfield, fullbacks. We have so many fullbacks. It's ridiculous. And maybe winger. But am I going to play striker? I don't think so. Because what's happening is obviously there's pressure to win and score. And the ISL clubs, I don't blame them. They're going and saying, hey, we the need best. a quality striker yeah. up front. Yes. Yes. If that changes, which now coaches are coming and saying, we're going to trust Indian players, some of them at least, that, then that's, that's the game changer. If we can get Indians in striking positions, we what happens is we encourage more Indians to say, I want to play striker. I want to play up front, you know, and not fullback. And a lot of strikers and wingers have actually have to become fullbacks. And sure. number 10s over the last few years to accommodate themselves or to, or to convince head coaches to play in the starting 11. That is the little positional gap. It's a little, small little observation, but it might mean something in the long run. It, in the United States, we struggle with number 10. So that's what I think what we'd like to see more. Mm -hmm. And we, maybe we're seeing some progress there as well. Uh, what is the level of the international player in the Indian Super League? Is it uh, is it a big destination? I know there's got to be so much competition. We know with the emergence of not just the Saudi League, the Qatari League, Major League Soccer, uh, to be a striker, or a, a big European-based player, you have your pick of the litter, really, and you could go. But is India becoming more of a... Uh, uh, a destination for obviously not the elite players, but ones that, that are very well regarded and can make a good living there in India? Um, initially, in the first few years in the ISL, we had some big names. And then there was this, uh, there was this opinion that it's a, it's a retirement home for, yeah. for stars. <laughs> yeah. And we had that at MLS but, too. So, yeah. Yes. You had that in MLS as well, but, over the last three or four years, it's changed. The, the average age of the foreigners coming to India has reduced. There have been smarter signings. Um, and when I say smarter, clubs have gone out and said, let's not bring someone who's 35 or 36 and, has, and, and is going to sell shirts. We need someone who's probably 29 or 30 and, um, and you know, adds more to the team. The likes of Adrian Luna, 
who came from uh, through and through city football, played in Australia, is from Uruguay, big star in Kerala. Um, that's the kind of signing that is happening now. Clubs are becoming smarter. And they've realized that it's great to bring a Diego Forlan, maybe for a season, but or maybe an Ilano for a couple of seasons. How far is that going to take the club in the long run? If we're investing money, then let's sign a smarter player. Like a Greg Stewart came straight out of uh, Scotland. You know, having been coached under Steven Gerrard, came here, lit up the league, made sure that a team that was completely not fancied wins the Shield, won the Shield again with Mumbai City next season. And you're like, oh, wow, that's the kind of player I want to watch. 29, 31, 32 maybe. No problem with that. But now the average age is going down. A lot of Spanish influx uh, play, because there's not That's enough uh, money in the second and third division in Spain, uh, which they can make in India. That's that's a great point. And I, I, uh, again, to see the parallels with Major League Soccer, there's some some players that I think people say, wait, they're a Barcelona B player, but they fit in nicely. And I, there is yeah. some of these European leagues, are, I think, are going to be hard pressed to keep pace to to sign these players. I think the City is another one. City is signing a lot of American players. But they could still make more money here or in Mexico, yeah. so uh, that's that's going to change the perception. I want I, I wanted to kind of circle back. I wanted to ask you this earlier, but just how soccer is viewed. And I kind of started our conversation about obviously there's an appetite from the Indian public to, for soccer. They want to get uh, more information. They are watching more. But even before the last ten years or so, when we saw this spike in interest or we saw the spike in success with the Indian program and and it's worth mentioning they were very successful in the 50s and 60s and dipped yeah and now are coming back again uh the indian public you obviously my perception correct me if I'm wrong dude is is it accessible to watch soccer do they watch a lot of premier league are there other leagues that they watch so that because to get familiar with the sport because i think the challenge in the united states still is soccer is viewed as a niche sport in the sense much like the Indian public with cricket, but there's American football, there's basketball, and soccer is still a mystery. I, I get the feeling it may not be a mystery. People know about soccer, but maybe they're not passionate about it. But if you could turn on TV or there's, you might see a, sh a Manchester United shirt, is that a, a more or less how far along they are? Um, the Premier League is remarkably is popular. Okay. Mess because it's big here, but it's mess. not overwhelming where it's like, Everyone knows what happened at the game this morning on a Saturday or Sunday, for example. It's also a time gap. If you see the Premier League has uh, playing European football is very well suited for us to watch. We get the 3 p.m. fixtures here that in the UK are not shown. Wait, so what time? What time would like the, the 3 p.m. Uh, UK fixture? It would be 7.30 p.m. or Oh, nice. Depending prime on time. Prime time. Prime time, yeah, it's prime time. So I gotta wait. They, they have games at four in the morning here. I can't do it. Yeah, you can't. You can't wake up. That that is something, because I think the Premier League has realized that they have this remarkable time uh, situation with Asia. So it's big in all Asian countries. The Premier League is massive, um, very easy to access. Uh, we the streaming platforms in this country are the cheapest in the world, and really good. We consume television shows, <laughs> let's, you know, away from sport. I like that I pregnant pause, go, we consume. Yeah, <laughs> and I, was, we, I mean, we, we go through, 
I was watching the Emmys the other day. I was watching the award winners. I went to myself, wow, I have seen every show. <laughs> FX, HBO, whatever. So everything. that's accessible? That's accessible to all the Indian public? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and the packages are great. Now look at the, in the even the, the package will be, oh, you'll get Premier League, you'll get HBO, you'll get FX, you'll get this. And you're like, wow, for that kind of money? Nowhere in the world. Nowhere in the world. And it's all legal. And what's happened with the ISL is now it's gone to uh, Geo. And Geo is this massive, obviously, everybody has a Geo phone these days, SIM card. You, Geo Cinema has a free Indian Super League. So you can watch it for free. You don't have to pay ah, anything for that. Brilliant. I know. You guys are so watching more soccer than more. anyone else. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> but here's the, here's the problem. The other day I was on a football group and people were like, there was Man United versus Spurs going on 10 p.m. prime time. People are pop, 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 talking about it. And then the India versus Australia game is going on and two people are going on about it in the group. And I'm like, wow, guys. I mean, aren't more of you watching this game? Aren't more of you watching this game? And that's, that's the gap. Like, more of us have to start caring about Indian football than, than English football. Yeah. It just yeah. has to happen at some point, you know? And that's going to happen only if it's so sad. Hockey was the same situation. Once the country stopped winning in hockey, we stopped you're watching. But you're talking about field hockey, correct? Yeah, field okay. hockey. Okay, right. We stopped watching field hockey. Like, why? Because uh, so they weren't succeeding. Yeah, yeah. Because, obviously, there's multiple reasons for that. But the minute we stopped winning international games in field hockey, we were like, okay, we're giving up the sport. <laughs> A finicky, it's, it's, finicky it's like crowd. A yeah, fickle, it's fickle. Fickle, I mean. Yeah. So in, the Indian football team needs to start winning and continue winning. And it might not be at the Asian Cup, but let's start winning the small tournaments. Let's start making some noise. Once a national team, everything depends on the national team. Pulasdar joining us here, commentator of the Indian Super League. I, I, I love what I'm seeing with India. The Indian Super League is also making strides. More than anything, I just love the appetite from the Indian public, which I've seen talking to so many people, seeing um, so many requests, seeing how big it was uh, during the World Cup and how much they wanted World Cup content, um, big studio shows, et cetera, doing there. I, I just want to get your thought because with all that's going well, I've been watching the Asian Cup and what, what worries me about the Indian success story is it the levels in Asia are really improving drastically. I was watching Jordan play and they were... Beautiful. Uh, I was watching Oman and Saudi Arabia and Oman held their own. And uh, obviously Japan is a team that's winning groups in the World Cup. Korea uh, getting through in their group. Australia pushing Argentina in the world. I mean, so, but not just the top group, but some of the Gulf states, some of those like Iraq. I mean, they play. Is is that concerning? Is is it? Does it feel maybe there's you got to keep up with the rest of Asia, which to me. Because it was an afterthought thought a few years ago, but it looks really strong to me now in 2024. Yeah, it looks very strong. And some of it is it is concerning. Um, there's a realization about, obviously, the challenges and what those countries are doing right. There's a very active realization among the people governing the sport, among the people playing and being part of the sport. In a concern way, yes, yes, there are lots of lessons to learn. There is, an, there is a realization uh, that we need to make some quick steps going forward. But I think there's also this acceptance that we have to be patient and hopefully things change over the next 10 years. If we follow a certain kind of pathway, football 
success across the world follows there's there's a template can we follow that template and i think the first of it is identity who are we as a footballing country yes good starting we, point right and once that is sorted and and can we use the youth to get behind the sport once that happens man once the kids start saying this is the sport i want to play that's it that is the job that that is what we are trying to bridge here whether it's through the indian super league whether it's through the national team whether it's through watching the asian cup and as you mentioned watching these countries and going like wow they can play once we bridge that gap that is when once the kids hopefully i am not sure this is the how many kids are going to be listening to this but once they start playing this sport and considering it as their sport to play and of course this is the coolest sport for everyone listening this is the coolest oh, is. sport you know that everyone listening <laughs> yeah, knows that <laughs> yeah that's it that's what we need and the the isl is expanding promotion has been introduced it's a slow process it's a slow process and uh 10 15 years later i hope we don't continue talking about the same things i hope mm. we talk about different things i hope we talk about a world cup maybe and small dreams asian cup little little itsy bitsy steps and we'll get there this asian cup will help you because of the level of competition the question is will you get more than 3 games it'll start or it will continue thursday against uzbekistan i i'm really curious for us to see that to see if india can take that step because obviously a knockout round game would be uh, monumental i mean what is it 24 teams so you get to the 16 who knows yeah But yes. I I hope everyone who's listening is all jacked up for that game too now. India Uzbekistan and they have it here in the United States on Paramount Plus and uh I'm sure they could what is the carrier again? I'm sorry for our Indian audience because I know we have some folks if they could watch it there. Uh we have it on Sports 18, we also have it on Geo so you can Geo, watch it. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Pula Star Indian a commentator of the Indian Super League. It's been a delight to talk with you. Thank you. I feel uh I feel so more well equipped. for my indian football conversations moving forward and we will call it football but thanks for your time thank you so much max for having me it was wonderful talking to you oh likewise pulas darge getting in and out of the business and we'll be back with check complete we'll talk about how 2024 is going to be the biggest year in international football today we'll be right back Let's wrap it up here with check complete. Let's get right into it. Six major competitions here in 2024 all over the world. We'll never have a year quite like this. It kind of happened by accident. Afcon Asia Cup playing here in January in the summertime. We will have Copa America, Euro 2024, Summer Olympics with their both men's and women's we have to I say six major competitions but really seven and on the women's game the olympic competition carries much more weight than the men's game and then you have the OFC Nations League in Vanuatu to determine the champions of Oceania just an eight team tournament but it's it's a regional competition and it it's that final jigsaw piece that makes it perfect in 2024 now why is this on the surface the biggest because we've just scope wise and size wise we've never had a year like this before and I don't know if we'll have it afterwards although never say never in the ever changing world of football soccer where more and more competitions are popping up who knows what it's going to look like you know Kylian Mbappe talking about uh comparing it to NBA and the load management uh 
that he would like for players where they could rest. Maybe that's coming to soccer, especially with the international calendar being so busy. The African Cup of Nations was supposed to take place in 2023 in the Ivory Coast weather, causing it to be postponed. Afcon, the Asian Cup was supposed to take place in 2023, hosting situations. And when it finally landed in Qatar's lap, they couldn't have it in the summer. They'd have to have it in January, where the uh, the weather would be more supportive to have this competition, much like the World Cup in 2022. So, all right, immediately you have these two move into 2024, and they're the beginning bookmark, which sets us off. Then you have the combining, the consolidation of the Americas. Uh, the, the Copa America now will have CONCACAF joining CONMEBOL <clears throat> in a normal year, CONCACAF would have their Gold Cup in 2023 and they'll have it in 2025. So in a year that perhaps you wouldn't have had CONCACAF playing, you do in a better tournament of 16 teams where you will have a true champion of the Americas. And the idea here and why it's so big, certainly from a U.S. perspective, that we can have this combined Copa more frequently. We had it in 2016 for the Centenario. And that's another good thing for CONCACAF is now you, you slide into the history that CONMEBOL has, South America. This competition's been going on since 1916. The history of Brazil and Argentina and Uruguay and what they've been able to do on the world stage. And you get Colombia and you get Ecuador. It's fantastic uh, from, from CONCACAF's perspective. But it's also big for CONMEBOL because you get USA and Mexico and you get all that interest in these burgeoning markets. It makes sense. So now you have so two te- two tournaments slip into 2024, and then one tournament just becomes a lot bigger. Even though we knew we were going to have an expanded Copa America for a while, you never know, right? So there on the surface is why 2024 is going to be the biggest year in international football. All the confederations are playing. And then you have the Olympics, too. A quick thought for the Olympics. I just give a little qualifier here as well. This is not a major competition. This is IOC cannot really have a football tournament the same way as the confederations or FIFA, UEFA, CONMEBOL, CONCACAF, because they're not really in the footballing business. I will watch it. You will watch it. USA is back. I want to see the USA do well. I'll watch the USA games. I'll watch a few other games. It's in France, so they're going to be playing in the Parc de France and the Velodrome. Uh, but we still haven't got the entire field set. The European teams aren't the big names. Uh, a lot of teams like U- U- Ukraine and Israel qualified. France is there. We wait on the South American teams, which will provide a lot. But again, I will challenge you. You could sit here and tell me that the Olympics are a big deal. I will challenge you. I guarantee you're not going to watch all these games. You're going, to walk, you're going to spend your time on the Euros. You're going to spend your time on, on the Copa America without question. Still, it's a good apparatus. And with the USA in there, there will be interest. The USA women, it's a big tournament for them as they look to bounce back after the disappointment of the World Cup. So uh, it is part of what makes 2024 even bigger. There's no question about that. But I have a lot of conversations about people talking up the Olympics. And I got to stop you there. It's not a major football tournament compared to these other ones. So beyond the surface, why is 2024 even bigger? Well, massive improvement around the world. 
Let's start with the Asian Cup. Coming off the 2022 World Cup, six teams qualified for the World Cup. Granted, it was an Asian World Cup hosted by Qatar. Only UEFA had more teams in the competition than Asia, the AFC. Three of them made the knockout stages. Australia pushed Argentina in the round of 16. Really pushed them. That was as uncomfortable as we saw Argentina, other than that Netherlands game late, on their way to lifting it. The trophy. Australia really made it uncomfortable. Then you had Japan, who won their group, lost to Croatia, uh, could have had a really good chance to make the quarters and maybe gone even further. Maybe they would have had the path that Croatia had if they had not stubbed their toe. Korea made the round of 16, got through in that group with an incredible result, then got destroyed by the Brazilians, but making the round of 16 in a group that many thought they couldn't get through. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. That's a fourth Asian team that did well. Qatar just misfired. I think they would love to have that back. It just was a mess from their part. And Iran was very good, narrowly missing out the round of 16, losing to the United States. I would stand by for, for this world where we criticize Greg Berhalter to the U.S. team. That was a quality win. Iran's really good. And on a neutral site, the World Cup in Qatar, closer to Iran, more of a home game for them, the USA beat this team. I think that result will continue to look better and better as we move forward. So six nations, and I've talked about earlier about these burgeoning nations that are starting to push for the supremacy, like the UAE, um, we talked, maybe India reaches that stage. China's a country that at some point you figure they're going to get it, right? Uh, with the masses of people, even though talking to Pulas, we, we, we mentioned uh, that maybe having a huge population isn't a guarantee for being super successful on the soccer front. Maybe being small is to your benefit. AFCON, and not much has changed in AFCON. I love the fact that every game is competitive. I mean, I'm watching Morocco-Tanzania. Morocco should be blowing the doors off of Tanzania, but it's competitive. Almost every game is. Uh, there are some incredible rivalries. It's in the Ivory Coast. Nice venues. Obviously, it's not going to be at the level of Qatar. The They had a, a good World Cup. Uh, Numbers-wise, not so great. They had two teams make the round of 16 Senegal losing to England in that stage. Cameroon beating Brazil, getting close. I mean, there was a potential. All the African teams performed well. One performed very well, and that's the game changer, Morocco. Morocco did what we always thought we could see from an African team at the World Cup, and they reached the semifinals. Loaded with talent. They were basically a European team, you know, European players everywhere on that squad. Not only did they win their group, a difficult group, they made the semifinals. And I, I've watched that Morocco-France semifinal a second time not that long ago. And Morocco fell behind early, but man, they had France in an uncomfortable situation. A couple bounces of the ball the right way, Morocco could have made a final. I'm dead serious when I say that. Them making that semifinals gives AFCON much more clout. And then you have countries that are not rated. They, I think they have five teams ranked in the top 33 in the FIFA rankings. Teams like Nigeria, Ivory Coast are not ranked there. And we expect that they could certainly make a push. There's so much potential in AFCON adding to 2024. 
Let us get to the summer. I, I, I kind of cover the OFC Nations League. We don't know the field yet. New Zealand's probably going to win it. Uh, we'll see what comes out of it. Of note, 2026 World Cup will have an Oceania team in it, guaranteed. So they don't have to be worried about being locked out like they were in past World Cups. The Euros. The last Euros, that final between Italy and England at Wembley would be on the scale of a World Cup final. Probably better than some World Cup finals we've seen in recent years. Dead serious. It was amazing. It was so huge. You have an incredible list of teams in that first pot for uh, in, in UEFA that will blow, blow you away. England, Portugal, Spain, Germany. You know, it's going to be held in Germany, which is going to be fantastic. So many people with great memories of what happened in 2006 where it was all inside that country that is so well-connected via trains, the Autobahn. So it's going to be a, a touristic delight. And you got all the heavyweights. So many teams can win this. UEFA is the bull of the woods. All the other confederations are trying to catch up. It is going to be uh, the best tournament we have in 2024, all due respect to us in the Americas, just because of the width and breadth. Croatia who made a semi-final at the last World Cup, made a final in the World Cup prior to that, is in pot three. As is the Netherlands, who made a quarterfinal of the World Cup. Pot three. Some interesting stories. Love to see what Albania can do. The Euros is going to be fantastic. And then finally, the Copa America, where you will have maybe the Messi swan song. We'll see if they can win another major tournament. It's going to be a dry run for the World Cup. All these incredible venues, 60, 70, 80,000 seaters, MetLife Stadium, Jerry's World in Dallas, SoFi Stadium in LA, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, the big, big venues. We'll see how well they sell out. Uh, obviously, they have the big dogs with Mexico, the US. Messi's going to be a big draw. Brazil. I mean, I, I want to go to Las Vegas. I think Ecuador is playing, was it Panama? I can't remember. It's not Panama, is it? But there'll be some good seats available for that one. So this is a big spot for the United States and certainly Greg Berhalter, who have always played well at games in the U.S. And the good news, the next World Cup is in the U.S. So we, we, while we would like to see the U.S. get tested on the road, it doesn't really apply here because everything's going to be at home. We'll see how they perform here. They're in a group with uh, Uruguay and Bolivia and Panama. So Ecuador is not playing Panama. And... They'll get a shot at Uruguay. You want to play good teams. They will likely play Colombia or Brazil in the quarterfinals. So good shot there. And I think the United States, I'd love to see them play Brazil in the quarters and see if they can make the semifinals. A 16-team tournament, so it's going to be really fast. This is that chance for the United States. 2024, grab onto this opportunity. 2025 is going to be pretty good too. 2026 is obviously going to be the World Cup. But 2024, just watch a lot. Do your homework, as I do, and all of, and so many others as well. Enjoy your football. Enjoy your soccer. The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Great to have you with us. A special hello to all our listeners in India. Thanks for joining us today. We'll continue to try and provide the most interesting content out there so that you guys can continue to come back. Until I see you again next time, Placido Domingo.